you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, I will, I will be there very quickly. I'm going to go to Revelation chapter 5 first, though, and then, then we'll get over to Acts chapter 16. Uh, I'm, I'm Danny. I, th- I know a lot of you. Uh, I work with the North American Mission Board and uh, with one of the pastors at Cross Lanes Baptist Church, and I'm glad to be able to be with you guys this morning and help out as Mason's not able to be here. I don't know if I was supposed to make an announcement about the offering there, but we're good. Okay. <laughs> if you got any other announcements, just let me know. I can, uh, I can help with those. Um, let's pray and dig into God's Word. God, uh, thank you for the songs that we were able to just sing. God, that we can come and worship the one, true, almighty, holy creator God of the universe. God, in ourselves, we we don't deserve that. We know it. God, it's why the song we sang also just now, how we, we build our life on your love. God, that you have shown grace to us in many ways, but God, you've especially shown grace to us through sending your son Jesus, that he would go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be reconciled back to you. God, you loved us that much. God, thank you. Help us as we read your word, God, that we would have the same joy and awe uh, that we have when we sing those songs. God, help us as we go out to serve, that it would be the same thing. God, that we would Uh, through the power of your spirit, uh, live life in a way that God reflects as, as best we can your love and joy. So God, help us with that this morning. Help us with that this afternoon and next week. God bless us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 16, the title of the sermon is God's mission and our role in the mission. But before I get there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Revelation 5 for a second. But here's what I want you to think about. So we're singing these songs. And I don't know about you guys, but are there those times whenever you, you're singing and you're worshiping and you just feel overwhelmed with the love of God and the joy that he gives us in Jesus? I just want to stay there. And then you think, wow. So here in a little while, I got to go out to the real world, right? And sometimes if we're not careful, when we, when we talk about mission, particularly when we move into that 
piece of mission called evangelism. We're gonna talk a little bit about that today. It can feel like this burdensome thing that's joyless and a struggle. But I, I really don't think that's how God designed it. And I think when we look at our lives, all of our lives as a, a worshipful gift back to God, back to Jesus, it changes our perspective on what life is like. I, I'll give you an example. So when we, Beth and I, I've married to Beth, we've got three kids. They're not kids now, they're older. But when they were little, sometimes, anybody that's got kids, you understand, sometimes your kids would act up, right? And they would totally disobey. Uh, maybe it's lying, right? Maybe it's stealing. Guys, we've broken the 10 commandments before we're ever like three or four years old. So if you, if you wonder whether or not you need a savior, you do. Uh, my kids sure did. And so I got to discipline them, right? And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just, I pile my kids very, very carefully, not in anger. So don't call anybody on me. But I remember at first thinking, wow, I don't like this. This is not fun. I want to hug my kid. I don't want to discipline my kid. But then I began to understand that part of God's design for me as a dad, as a parent, is to train up my child in the way they should go. And, and to, part of that is, is, is teaching. Part of that is, is discipline. And so I began to look at discipline as an act of worship. God, I love you. I love my child. We're gonna go have a difficult conversation. And it really did change the way I looked at that. When Jesus is the center of our lives and our activities, it changes the way we look at, at life and our activities. It changes the way we look at mission and evangelism. I think one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus as the center is found in Revelation chapter five. Revelation four, God is sitting on the throne. We see the throne room of heaven. Uh, books are opened. Um, and then it says in Revelation five, as John gets this picture of heaven, then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scrolls and break its seals? Look at verse three, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. God on his throne, holding his sovereign plan for the world and who's worthy to approach God? Nobody. Verse four, I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I looked and I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne. The creatures are worshiping, the elders are worshiping 
says in verse seven, he went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, golden bowls filled with incense, the prayers of the saints, and they sang this song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. What, an, what a revelation. What John saw in heaven, Jesus the son approaching the father, taking the scroll and then worship and praise to the one who paid the penalty, who purchased us out of death by his blood. People from every tribe, every language, every nation, and he's made us a kingdom and priest. As we live our lives Every day, I'm talking the everyday life that we live. Do we live it in light of what's happening there in Revelation chapter five? We are a part of the kingdom of God. We are some of these that have been purchased. Ones who are in this kingdom, priests to our God. When we think about who we are in Christ and we meditate on that, it makes a difference in the way we view our lives. So now I wanna to move to Acts chapter 16 and I wanna think about mission. What does it mean for us to join God in his mission and with Jesus as the center of it? Because how's this apply? Well, as we talk about mission, we're gonna get very practical and I'm gonna, at least for myself, I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna think about my neighbors. Am I on mission like Paul was to the people around him and am I sharing the gospel with them? And if I'm being honest, I'm thinking about some of my neighbors and it's like, wow, I don't even know if I can approach them, right? I don't know if I want to approach them. This is starting to feel heavy and not joyful, not worshipful. Well, let's let Jesus be in the middle. Let's look at God on mission and our role in the mission and see where we come. Acts chapter 16, quick context. The book of Acts is the, the church being born after Jesus has ascended into heaven. Jesus has, has died. He was buried. He's raised from the dead. He appeared to his disciples, to hundreds of others. He's ascended. And now the, the, the kingdom is starting to grow. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. In the early part of Acts there, Paul has already, he's become a Christian. He was a Pharisee. He was a terrible persecutor of the church. God saved him, changed this man that most would have looked at and said, there's no way this man gets changed. He's gone on his first missionary journey. It was so successful, people from all tribes getting saved that they had to call a meeting back in Jerusalem. That's Acts chapter 15 to figure out, is this okay what Paul's doing here? Like we thought this was mostly gonna be a Jerusalem Jewish thing. We were cool with that, but wow, this is going to the ends of the earth like Jesus said it would. 
So as they finish that meeting, Paul, I believe, is anxious to get back on the road for his second missionary journey. And that's where we jump in in Acts chapter 16. What we're gonna look at here real quick are three ways that God is at work, God is on mission, and how we join him on that mission. The first is this, God is sending his people out. The first way that God is at work, that God is on mission, is God is sending his people out. And the way we join him is we obey. When God sends, we go. I'm actually gonna move back here to Acts chapter 13 for just a minute. You see there are the first three verses. It's the church at Antioch. There were prophets and teachers. There were leaders in this church. Uh, it names the leaders. Paul was one of them. Barnabas was one of them. Verse two in Acts chapter 13. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. The church sends people out. God's church sends people out. God is a sending God. Actually, Romans 10 says that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved, right? Romans 10, 13. Well, in verse 14, Paul follows a little bit of logic there. Well, how can you call if you haven't heard? Well, how can you hear if there's not someone preaching? And how can somebody preach if they're not sent? God is ascending God. God has always been ascending God, even in the Old Testament. Sometimes we do this thing where we separate the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament God, a little bit scary. New Testament God, loving and kind. Not true. What did God do to Moses when his people cried out for help in Egypt? The Bible says God sent Moses to bring the people out, to save them. What about Isaiah? God sent, the, the Old Testament says that God is ascending God. He sent Isaiah to his people. Jeremiah, the same word. God sent Jeremiah. God has always been sending. I would argue that God, it's his nature to send. The love of God is such that it overflows from the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, perfectly, eternally loving one another. And God created people, not because he needed somebody to love him. He already had perfect love. God created us so that he could share that love. So that the love that he has could overflow. It's sent out to his people. Ultimately, God sent his son. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. And here we see God is also sending his people out on mission. The church has a role in this. Another thing I notice here, let's look at uh, Acts 16, one through five. As they begin this second missionary journey, Paul went on to Derby and Lystra where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters of Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. So he took him, he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled throughout the towns, they delivered the decisions reached in Acts chapter 15. 
It says the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. Not only was Paul sent out and Barnabas was sent out, and we see here Silas is with him now. Silas is sent out. Timothy, this young, probably teenager, is being sent out with the apostle Paul to be a part of the work that God is doing. Sometimes I look at the work around our state, for example, around our city, Charleston, Cross Lanes, Huntington, just this 60, I-64 corridor here, the numbers of people, the numbers of lost people. How are, we gonna, how are we gonna be a part of that? How are we gonna see an impact among the people that we live around? Our, our churches and God is sending people out. He's sending us out to the people in our neighborhoods, to the people in our workplaces. What about our state? God is sending people across West Virginia to start new churches. Berkeley Springs, we've seen one started and Morgantown, we've seen one started and we're starting to see st more students from WVU that are engaging with the gospel. Um, God is at work, God is sending people. This sending is beautiful. One, it mirrors, it reflects the love of God that is sent out to us, especially through Jesus. This sending also shows us something that I believe is, is critical. For the work that God's called us to, how do we have enough people? We have enough people because the resources are in the harvest. I believe everything that God needs to accomplish his mission, he has in his church. And he's sending us out. I remember whenever I was a kid, I would go to my great aunt's house. This was in Wilkes County, uh, North Carolina, Western North Carolina. And she had an apple tree in the backyard. We would go, and we would run around and we'd pick those apples and we would like, boy, we would throw them at each other and all that kind of stuff, right? And I remember this, you look at the apple and you, can you count the number of seeds in an apple? You can't. You can count the number of seeds in an apple. There's a finite number of seeds in that apple. But can you count the number of apples in those seeds? They can grow and multiply as they're planted and sent. That's what God does us as we go out on mission with him. He is sending people, we obey. He multiplies his witness and God's work is done. Being sent out, it's like being sent on an errand or, or dispatched for a purpose. I remember whenever I was a kid also, my, my parents owned a used car lot. My accent, I'm from North Carolina. Uh, that's part of the problem. My, uh, my parents were used car dealers. That's, that's a big part of the problem. Cleve always wondered why was I so shady whenever I was working in the state office. Um, I get it, honest. Yeah. <laughs> I remember a day when I, I came home from school. I was just a little guy. I was maybe 10 or 11 and my mom had the big bank bag. Y'all know those big bank bags. You would put your checks and your money in, you'd take them to the bank and you'd carry it up to the counter and the teller would take the deposit or whatever it was. Mom hands me the bag and she says, there's $3,000 in here. I want you to take this to the bank and deposit it for me. She handed a 10 year old $3,000. <laughs> So there was a sporting goods store just around the corner <laughs> that I would go to a lot after school with my friend and we would get fountain drinks and we would get Mountain Dew and whatchamacallit. 
Um, that day, I did not go to the sporting goods store to get Mountain Dew and whatchamacallit. I went straight to the bank. Mom had given me a job. There was purpose to this thing. It, it was weighty. Now, here's the interesting thing about that wasn't my money. But I felt the weight, the gravity of this errand that mom had sent me on. Now, the bank's only like a half block away, but still, I did the job. And afterwards, there was a sense of like pride and joy in that. God is sending. He always has been. God is sending us out. He did that with the early disciples and he's got a job for us. Where we live, work and play, there are lost people that need to hear about Jesus and God is sending us to them. Another way that God is at work and that we join him is this, God is sovereign over his mission and we follow him. So, so God is sending we obey. God is also sovereign over his mission and we follow him. What do I mean by that? Look at Acts chapter 16. We're gonna look at verses six through 12 here. So Paul and Silas are going out. They've picked up Timothy. It says they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now look, this is interesting. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That, why would God forbid them to share the gospel with people? When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul is going out on this mission trip and he's really trying to head, he's, he's coming from the, the east, and he's kind of heading northwest. He's really wanting to go north. And the spirit says, no, I don't want you to go north. So he changes direction. He's kind of trying to, he's trying to go south. And the spirit says, I don't want you to go south. So in Paul, there's four directions. Maybe he didn't know that. Um, he goes to Troas and he's like, I don't really know what to do right now. So we're gonna to go to bed. We're gonna wake up in the morning and try to think this thing out. I think it's what he was doing. And in the night, he had what we call the famous Macedonian call. This man in a dream says to him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, after he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea. We sailed straight to Fort Samothrace. The next day to Neapolis. And from there, we went to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed in that city for several days. God is sovereign over his mission. Something happens right here at the beginning of Acts chapter 16. The gospel movement, the kingdom movement that's happening in Acts moves from one continent to the next. When Paul goes to Macedonia, Paul's taking the gospel to Europe. This is, this is huge. This is part of what Jesus said. We're gonna go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
from Europe. Think about where the gospel has gone from Europe, just in the modern missions movement, to the Americas, back around the globe to Asia. God is sovereign over his plan. 2,000 years ago, God's beginning to send people out all over the world to all of the nations. Paul, in early, the early parts of verse 16, Paul had a plan. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But God changed Paul's plan. God had or God has a bigger plan. He wanted the gospel to go to Europe. He wanted the nations to know about Jesus. Actually, God's been planning this from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 12, he said, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. He told Abraham, all of the nations will be blessed through you. Sometimes when we're, we're out obeying and we're, we're trying to follow, we feel like we see a closed door and what God's calling us to or what we thought God was calling us to. Probably Paul was wondering about that. Sometimes we have difficult circumstances that we feel like are, are blocking the way that we believe God's moving us. I think there's times when God calls us to change our plans. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to be walking in the power of his spirit, reading his word, understanding who he is, what he's doing, how we can be a part of that, and then we follow him. Do you feel like there's a closed door? That doesn't mean the mission has changed. The mission never changed. God was just asking them to go in a different direction. Paul was open to God's leading. He was open to God's direction. And in fact, that's, that's how we live our lives. I mean, we've already surrendered to him. What if God calls us to do something radically different than we thought he was gonna call us to do? Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live for the son of God, the one who died for me. So sometimes we see these things and we think, wow, that's inconvenient. I think God's saying, no, that's, that's where I want you to go because there's people over there who need to hear the gospel. I remember when Beth and I were uh, engaged, it went really quickly, which is becoming a, a, a difficult thing now because our kids are starting to talk with people and, and, and date. And we're thinking, well, okay, guys, you need to go slow. And they're like, so tell us about you and mom. Well, we started dating in January and we were engaged in early March. But we're not saying that that's what you guys should do. We, we did get engaged quickly. We got married relatively quickly. And during that time, I was in seminary and Beth was working as a nurse. And, and I told her that I felt like God had put a call to missions on my life. And we talked about that. And that was interesting. But we were particularly interested in getting married. Once we got married... I felt like, okay, it's time to get real about this missions thing. So I went home from school one day and I said, okay, Beth, uh, we need to do this two plus two program at the seminary. I'm gonna finish up my second year of seminary this summer, and then we're gonna go overseas for two years. And I remember her being shocked, blown away. That really wasn't what she had planned a few years before that. But here, I say this uh, with all humility. Here's what my wife did. 
She said, okay. You've heard people say, we're gonna, we're gonna put our yes on the table. God, whatever you call me to do, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put my yes on the table. Or, or we, this, we hand God the blank check, like we have anything to hand him anyway, right? When I said, what do you think about going to China? She said, let's do this. If that's what God calls us to, let's go. God is sovereign over his mission. I would say it this way too. God is sovereign over our lives. And when he speaks to us, he calls us in a certain direction. We follow him. We put our yes on the table. We hand him that blank check and we go and do what he asks us to do. That's what Paul did. I I believe that's definitely what Timothy did here. Here's this young man being called away from his mom and his grandmother from his home. He's going on this trip. It's about to get real. The people that are chaperoning and watching over him, they're about to get thrown into jail. How do you feel about that with your kid going on a, on a mission trip, right? Is it my, my, my middle kid's getting ready to leave this summer for a couple of months and I was talking to my dad about it. He's never been comfortable with, with us living overseas. And he, the first question he asked me about Joseph being overseas, he says, well, is he gonna be safe? We don't know. But what we do know is that God is sovereign over his mission. God is sovereign over his life. And when he calls us, we follow him. That's what Paul did. That's what Silas did. Guys, that's what Jesus did. God is sending. We obey. God is sovereign. We follow. And the third way that we see God at work and us responding is this. God is saving all kinds of people and we engage them. God is saving all kinds of people and we engage them. Let's go back to Acts 16, 13. It says there on the Sabbath day, so they're in Philippi here. On the Sabbath day, we went out the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple, purple cloth from the city of Thyatira was listening. Listen to this, guys, it's beautiful. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. The first person that we see come to faith in Philippi is this lady named Lydia. Evidently, she was a a pretty sharp lady. She was a business lady, a dealer in purple cloth. She probably had uh, money, resources. She had a family. It said her her household. We love it when Lydia's get saved and join our church. Right? They're, They're buttoned up. They look good. They tithe well. All those things. They've got influence in the community. God is saving Lydia's. God is saving people like this. We need to engage people like her, the the business community, people who are professionals. God's at work among them. But look at verse 16. Lydia's saved, her, her household is baptized. We're gonna talk about household again in a minute. It says, once as we were on our way to prayer, There was a slave girl who met us. She had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
she made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the most high God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning, Paul would have been an interesting guy to be around. I'm convinced of that. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. So here you've got Lydia and her household that gets saved. Probably a house church is started in her home. She invites the, the missionaries to live there, to stay there. And as they're going back and forth, they're continuing to do ministry in the city, going to the place of prayer. There's this slave girl. Now, if Lydia's up here on the socioeconomic ladder, the slave girl is down here. She can't get any lower. Not only is she a slave, but she's demon possessed. Spiritually bankrupt. And somehow she's able to tell fortunes. Her owners make a lot of money off of that as she's being exploited and abused and who knows what all else. I'm telling you guys, we have, we have little girls like this in our city and in our state. We have people who are struggling like her. And what does Jesus do? It's not Paul. Paul cried out, but who is the one that has the power? With Lydia, it says there, God opened her heart, right? The Lord opened her heart. Jesus has the power and the authority to cast out demons, and that's what he does. This little girl is healed, and it's implied that she's saved. The slave girl who was demon-possessed is delivered, healed, and reconciled to the God that created her and loves her. Guys, God is calling us to engage people like this. I don't know what that looks like exactly in your context. I, uh, we, we began doing some work um, in, in prison, uh, a, a little bit of a, a prison ministry. And we encountered some folks I think are probably a lot like this slave girl. And I can name a number of these ladies that have been delivered who are walking with Jesus. I think of one in particular right now who is married with children and she's living a God-honoring life. It's beautiful. God is calling us to engage people like the demon-possessed slave girl. So when the girl is delivered from the demonic power, presence, she doesn't tell fortunes anymore. Her life has changed. She, I like to think she's living with Lydia. I have no idea what happened exactly to the little girl, but I don't think that Paul and the missionary team abandoned her. It says that her owners realized their hope of profit was gone. What did they do? They seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews. They're promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. 
The crowd joined in the attack against them. The chief magistrates stripped off their clothes, ordered them to be beaten with rods. Paul talks about this uh, in his writings to the Corinthian church. In times he was beaten, shipwrecked. They flogged him and it says that they threw him into prison. Not just that, they threw him into the inner prison, the, the very heart of the prison so that he would not get out. They secured their feet in stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came off. So we meet another character here and that's the jailer. As he sees what's happened, the doors are wide open. His assumption is everybody's gone. The prisoners have fled. And when I go tell my superiors about this, they're gonna kill me. So he figures he'll go ahead and, and do that and get it over with. When the jailer woke up, he saw the doors standing open. He drew his sword, he was going to kill himself. He thought everybody had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? God's changing this man also. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Says so they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everybody else in his house. He took them, I love this. He took them that night and washed their wounds. He might've been one of the ones that was beating them, causing some of those wounds. And now he's washing their wounds. The Philippian jailer gets saved. He was probably one of the meanest guys in town. You don't just put a, a softy in the jail, right? He was rough. He was tough. He was the guy that you would not want to meet in an alley. He's the guy that if you are looking for somebody to share the gospel with, if you're intimidated, this is the guy that intimidates you. But God changed this man. I'm telling you, God is calling us to engage people like the Philippian jailer. I know I'm, I'm being judgmental and I apologize, but I think of like big guys that ride motorcycles that are just rough and tough. It's intimidating. It's scary. It can be. God's called us to engage. Sometimes we, we get scared. Sometimes we kind of isolate ourselves over here. Here's what I would say. Isolation and fear are enemies to the mission of God. They rob us of the opportunity to see God work in people's lives. Beth and I, when we went overseas, we, we lived in a, a, one of the provinces in South China. And we, we learned local language, we learned Chinese, and we began to engage people and talk with folks in the city. Uh, we saw God do a work in, in a family. Actually, the second time we shared the gospel with this one lady, she actually said, what do I need to do to be saved? I, I was blown away. Our second year, we, we went more to the countryside, the rural areas, to try to engage some unreached people groups. We would go to market towns and people from the markets would just flood from the, from the hills and the mountains in that area. They would just flood into this market town on market day. We could meet lots of different people. We would take our pictures with these people. They, they, they had never seen anybody like us before. 
and never met a, a white person. And so we would take a picture with them. We'd say, hey, tell us where you live and we'll bring the pic, we'll get the pictures printed and we'll bring them back to you. We did not have any problem getting invitations to these villages. This one time, well, a lot of times we would go, we would hand pictures out. We would look for persons of peace, people that would talk with us about the gospel. We would share the gospel. And time and time again, week after week after week, people were saying, okay, no, not really. We worship in the temple over here. We worship the idols that are over here. And they have all different ways that they worship. One time we took pictures, we got them printed. We go into this little village and we were handing out pictures, looking for somebody that would invite us into their home so that we could share the gospel with them. These people obviously are very different from us. We met, we had two pictures left. It was a lady and actually a lady and her daughter. So we asked someone, do you know where they live? They said, yes, yeah, they live right over here. Told us where the home was. We went over to the home. The lady was there with her daughter. We sat down with them. They invited us to drink tea. We began to talk and interact and we began to share the gospel with this lady and her daughter. When we finished, they began, we were speaking to them in Chinese. They began to speak to one another in their local language. Couldn't understand a word they were saying, but they're going back and forth, back and forth. And then the lady turns to Bethany and says, hey, I believe what you just told me. And my daughter believes too. We couldn't believe it. We, we thought maybe they didn't understand what we had said. So we explained again the gospel and they said, yes, we believe. She said, but my husband is out working. He's gonna be in in a little bit. Would you please stay here until he gets back? I want you to tell him the story as well. So this man comes in. His name is uh, Li Yoming. He was one of, the, one of the tiniest men I'd ever seen in my life. He, he walks into the area where we were sitting drinking tea and we begin to talk with him. First thing he wanted was a picture of himself because he had seen the picture of his wife and his daughter. And he said, he was, he was funny. He said, look, I only want you to take a picture of half of my body because I don't want people to see how short I am. So he said, just banchan, banchan, just half body. I'm like, okay, we'll do a half body picture. That's not a problem. Um, we took his picture, we sat down and we shared the story of Jesus with him. Whenever we'd finished, he began to talk with his daughter and his wife in the local language. We couldn't understand a word they were saying. After they finished, he turned to me and he said, I believe what you said is true. He said, I believe in Jesus. I want to believe in Jesus. We can't believe it. This is a household, right? He said, but I have three sons that are working. They're going to be in, in just a little bit. Would you stay and please share, tell them the story when they get in? Very long story short, we shared with the sons. The sons believed. Not only did the sons believe, a couple of years later, there was a training in the capital city of our province for church planters and evangelists among these unreached people groups. The sons wanted to come and be trained so that they could take the gospel out to more people in their area. So these sons, very poor, probably, honestly, a lot like the slave girl, they get on a bus and they're heading to the capital city to be trained in evangelism, church planting. There's a lot of uh, checkpoints along the way because there's a lot of drugs that run through that area. And when they're stopped, the authorities see these very, very poor men and they're like, what in the world are you doing in the capital city? You don't belong there. They take them off the bus. They put them in a holding cell for a couple of days while they feed them laxatives and 
clean out their system so they can see what kind of drugs are in there. Nothing. They were telling the truth. So after three days, they say, you can go back, you can go wherever you were going. So if that's me, I've been taken off the bus, tortured for three days, and I'm released. I'm probably going back home. Those guys get on the bus and come because they want to make it to the last couple of days of the training. Guys, that's what God is doing. God is saving all kinds of people and he's calling us to engage them with the gospel. What does that look like in your context? Are there people that God has laid on your heart? Again, where you live, where you work, where you play. People that you, you know, they're far from Jesus. They're far from God. But God has burdened you to share with them. Maybe, maybe there's a, maybe God's called you to go somewhere other than where you live, work, play. Maybe God's calling you to go to a different part of the country to be a part of the work he's doing. Maybe God's calling you to go to the other side of the world and be a part of the work he's doing. Obey him, follow him. When he puts people in your pathway, engage those people with the gospel. Y'all have probably heard of the who's your one challenge. Who's that one person this week you would, that I would intentionally pray for. One of my neighbors that doesn't know Jesus to pray that God would open a door for me to love on him. Sometimes that feels heavy. Um, Sometimes we're a little intimidated by it. When we understand the gospel message and who Jesus is what he's done, the beauty of his sacrifice, the hope that we have for eternity with him. The fact that he shares that yoke, that burden with us to go out on mission. We go with love, we go with joy, and we go with hope. I pray that for us. Let's pray. God, you are good. God, you're at work. You've called us to be at work. God, on mission with you. God, help us to be a part of that mission. God, thank you that we've been recipients of the mission. God, we have received eternal life because of what you've done through your son. God, give us uh, boldness. God, give us uh, love and joy. God, you, you give us purpose and direction as we go. God, that you would be glorified in it, that more and more people would know about you. God, the promise you made to Adam and Eve, the promise you made to Abraham, God, the promise you made to Moses, God, the promises you've made for thousands and thousands of years that we would continue to see those fulfilled as people put their faith in your son. Help us be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen.